Mr. and Mrs. Martini, welcome home. This is what I wished for. You see, George, you really had a wonderful life. Colonial Woods. Good to see all of you this morning. How you doing? Good, good. I can't see you at home, which is probably good. You're probably in your Christmas pajamas. That's got to be what it is, but you guys look great. Some of you went with the whole theme of Christmas sweaters, and some of you went with very nice ones, and some of you, let's just say, they were a little bit less. Nah, they're a little bit crazy, and I actually had a crazy one to wear for the second service. It was completely me. It had red camo with a deer in front, and it even had a, a little pouch here. Put your Bible in. I, that's the only thing I can figure out you would put in that little pouch. But anyway, somebody said you put your coffee in it, but I, I went and put it on between services, and I, I think my wife must have shrunk it or something. It's a little tight. <laughs> So uh, if anybody's looking for one, let me know. I can, I can hook you up. But anyway, if you have your Bibles with you, would you take them in turn? We're going to look at two passages today. They're going to be diametrically opposed. They go perfectly together as a complement as we talk about this whole thing of It's a Wonderful Life. We're going to start in Psalm 88. Psalm 88, that's where we're going to begin. And uh, this afternoon, at least in our home, this is when we watch It's a Wonderful Life. Uh, Wesley's coming over. We've got going to have dinner together. We're going to start It's a Wonderful Life. And so looking forward to, to starting that. I will likely take a real short nap during that as well. But uh, hopefully you get a chance to kind of familiarize yourself with a little bit. We've been in this little journey. It's a wonderful life. What does it mean to have it's a wonderful life? And it's the story of George Bailey and how he, he, he has a crisis even unto life. He contemplates taking God's most precious gift. There's a little girl who's in this thing. Her name is Zuzu. Zuzu. Z-U-Z-U. And uh, I always think of Zuzu's petals. She came home from school, had these little rose petals that she had. And in fact, I love how it was decorated out here. If you go to the mantle out here, I think there's some of Zuzu's petals on that thing and it's got the little angel wings and stuff and she's famous for that last line you saw it every time a bell rings what an angel gets its wings which is completely unbiblical <laughs> can I encourage you I love the movie do not take your theology from it's a wonderful life the Word of God is the only place you're going to get that. And yeah, it has nothing to do with angels and wings and all that stuff. But she's a cutie pie, and it's great to see it. She really is kind of a key character, even though she has very few lines. She's such a, a key part of that movie. Her In real life, her name's Carolyn Grimes. Didn't have such a wonderful life. Several years ago, I was driving, I think it was on I-94, forgive me, when I get ideas, I have to write them down. I do something, and I listened to her doing an interview on the radio. I think it was with Frank Beckman. Frank Beckman, if you remember him on the radio, and interviewed Carolyn Grimes. And she began to tell the story of how she really had many hard tragedies in life. By the time she was 12 years of age, her mom had passed away from early-onset uh, Alzheimer's, very young age. Three years later, her dad died in a car crash. 
She was orphaned at 15. She was ordered by the courts to go live with an aunt and uncle in Missouri. She describes them as abusive, um, very unloving, very unkind. Uh, they, they spent all of her money that she would have earned from the, from the making of the movie, and so she had nothing. She got married. Her first husband, she divorced, and just a very short time after the divorce, he died in a hunting accident. Her son, 18 years of age, took his life through suicide. Was married a second time. Her second husband died of cancer. And she begins to tell this story of how hard and how, you know, everybody thinks everything went great. It, it, it was pretty tough. Now, what's interesting is I, I've been trying to figure out her story. Because if you look at some of the quotes from her about what she went through, it's very dark. It's very dark, has a very, almost a negative view of God. And then when I heard her and wrote down the quote, she sounded like a different person. Found out she came to faith uh, a little bit later in life. It was really through her second husband. She, she wrote these words. When you go through suffering, your view of the world and life become very small. We have to be reminded that there are bi there's a bigger world and a bigger life. There are lots of joys to celebrate. And a reality of life, as we get into Psalm 88, a reality of life is that not for everybody is Christmas a, a joyful time. In fact, I was uh, with a brother not long ago. We were at, uh, I was getting my coffee, and he reminded me of something I think I say about every year, that wherever you are at Christmas, Christmas has a way of being an exclamation mark. It's a magnifying glass. If you're in a good place at Christmas, Christmas, you're at a great place. Relationally, if things are going well, Christmas is phenomenal. Relationally, if things are going hard, Christmas puts a strain on it. If you're going through a time of grieving, if you're going through a time of darkness, in October, September, it's one thing, but when you get somewhere between November and Christmas, it begins to accentuate. In fact, it was interesting this morning, Tammy and I were, were driving in, and it was still dark outside, and uh, I was being a little quiet. It wasn't because of this, but she asked me a question, and it came, I, I think it must have been the Holy Spirit, came out of nowhere. She said, how you doing? With this whole thing, with your mom and your dad both gone, you know, I was going to ask you this at Thanksgiving and coming up on Christmas and just asking how you're going. And I, it took me out of nowhere. She said, how you doing? And I'm like, oh, I'm fine. <laughs> you know, I don't know where they came from. These tears just began to flow. And, and it just so happened this morning as I was thinking about this message, I began to think about my mom and I was thinking about her passing and such. And it's amazing how just out of nowhere things can hit you. Psalm 88 is called the most sad psalm in the Bible. That doesn't seem like a great place to start. I promise we'll finish on an upbeat. But it's, it's a psalm that is written by a guy by the name of Haman. Haman the Ezraite, he is a grandson to Samuel. And this guy, by all accounts in Scripture, um, was alive during the time of David. Uh, Solomon primarily, and passed away during the time of Rehoboam. He watched the kingdom of Israel really go from its height of glory and really decline. He is a, he is a son of Korah, meaning he is, he is part of the worship team for the nation of Israel. Their job is to write the worship music 
music. They are to lead the times of worship. He was a very blessed man. In fact, he had lots of insight, wisdom he's called. Uh, he was a seer, meaning that he had the ability to kind of see what God was doing and had a, had a voice from the Lord. He would be an advisor to the king. He was very important. He was blessed with family. It was said in Scripture that he had 14 sons, three daughters. They were considered excellent children. Somewhere, as he writes Psalm 88, everything's gone. His country is gone. He has seen it decline, really shattered after Solomon's uh, kingship. His health was taken. It says in this passage, we're going to look, that he's been afflicted since youth. His family and friends are gone, but they're still alive, but they're gone. He has become, it says, repulsive to them. Um, his future has been taken. His hope has been taken. Now you're ready to read the passage. I know you're excited. Look what it says in Psalm 88. O Lord, the God who saves me day and night, I cry out before you. May my prayer come before you, turn my ear, turn ear to my cry. For my soul is troubled. My life draws near the grave. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am like a man without strength. I am set apart with the dead, like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more, who are cut off from your care. You, notice how he's accusing God, you have put me in the lowest pit, in the darkest depths. Your wrath lies heavily upon me. You've overwhelmed me with all of your waves. You've overwhelmed me with all of your waves. Several times in the Psalms, they talk about trouble as coming like, like waves. Every time I read that, I don't know if any of you have ever tried to swim in the ocean or been out on the beach and you see those waves coming in and if you were like me or like anybody, probably as a kid, you, you, you just you feel like you can take the waves on. And one of the things I've noticed only a few times swimming in the ocean is how incredibly powerful those waves are. When they hit you, they take you under. And if you've ever been hit by like a multiple wave type of event, you come up and then you get hit again. It takes you under. You can see how people can be taken under very quickly by the sheer power. So, so when I read something like this, I always think about how sometimes grief or hardship or, or dark places or whatever it is, it's like it, it hits you. It sweeps over you. It comes out and it, and it has a way of just kind of taking you under. Your waves sweep over me. You have taken from me my closest friends and made me repulsive to them. I am confined and cannot escape. My eyes are dim with grief. I call out to you, O God, every day. I spread my hands out to you. Do you show your wonders to the dead? Do those who, who are dead rise up and praise you? He's making an argument here. Lord, if, if I die, I can't do anything from the grave. Is your love declared in the grave, your faithfulness and destruction? Are your wonders known in the place of darkness or your righteous deeds in the land of oblivion? But I cry out to you for help, O Lord. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. Why, O Lord, do you reject me? Hide your face from me. From my youth I've been afflicted and close to death. I have suffered your terrors and I'm in despair. Your wrath has swept over me. Your terrors have destroyed me. All day long they surround me like a flood. They have completely engulfed me. You have taken my companions 
and loved ones for me, the darkness is my closest friend. Did you see that phrase? The darkness is my closest friend. Now you're saying, Pastor Phil, this is absolutely the worst Christmas message I have ever heard in my life. (laughs) And I'll be honest with you, it is hard. Because for a lot of people, this is hard. Whether it's a broken relationship, a destroyed relationship, a lost relationship, a, a, a loved one, an empty couple chairs at your table, or maybe it's just the darkness of the soul. For some reason, this time of year, for many individuals, darkness becomes their closest friend. And there's some things I've learned about the dark over the years. The first one is, is that you can't see. I know that makes no sense and it makes perfect sense but but what I mean is 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 that not only can you not physically see in the dark sometimes just in life it it just makes it hard to see things the way they're supposed to be seen in fact you'll notice in this passage he says his eyes are dimmed but it's more than that because you'll notice that his perception has changed and the way that he's seeing things in the dark is that God is attacking him your wrath comes after me. You have done this. You have laid me in the pit. And, and, and when you're in a dark place, it is just sometimes really hard to see clearly. Um, when I was a kid, uh, I grew up in a home. I've told many of you this story so many times. I have six older sisters, and uh, we lived in a farmhouse, had mom and dad, six older sisters, grandma and grandpa in this farmhouse. And farmhouses are fairly large, but that's a lot of people to have your own spaces. And so for a number of years when I was little, I didn't have a room of my own. In fact, my my sister Linda is 14 years older than me. She got married at 19. It wasn't because because she really wanted to get married. It's that we needed a room for me to stay in. That's not true. She may be watching. She loves her husband. They're still married today. Uh, I remember I was wearing a green suit at their wedding. It was uh, the fashion of the time. Uh, but anyway, uh, I, for a lot of, number of years, I'd sleep on the couch. I'd sleep, slept in the crib probably way too long. It explains a lot to my therapist. And, and, uh, <laughs> but I did. I used to sleep on the couch a lot. And at nighttime, I would just, I would get very afraid. I would look up. I would, when I would see stuff, if, if there was a coat hanging on a doorknob, it was an intruder. I don't know why I had this recurring thing that when I would see little things on the floor I always thought it was a fox there was a fox in the house I don't know why you would think that um, and then on my trail cam in my backyard the other the other day there's a fox they're out to get me they're all over the place and, and I would just have all these visions of stuff things don't look right in the dark and when you're in a dark place what you think is up is down and what is what is right is wrong and what and you begin to see things spiritually through the wrong lens it's hard to see when you're in a dark place number two the second thing i notice is it can be really frightening man it is terrifying when you're in a dark place i cry to you for help in the morning oh lord my prayer comes before you from my youth i've been afflicted i'm close to death I've suffered your tears. I'm in despair. When, when I see this, I have noticed whether you go through dark times, discouraging times, or if we use the D word, depression, you can get into places in your life where it's pretty scary. You may think things you've never thought. You may be surprised by your own thoughts toward the Lord. It can be a scary place to be. Number three, when you're in a dark place, it can be discouraging, and I put down slash depressing because I don't want to artificially inflate and place people into depression, although it's not a dirty word, and it is, it is not a word you should be embarrassed by. We go through the darkness of the soul 
even as believers, and the reason I can say that is some of the great believers of faith throughout the years have struggled with this darkness of the soul. David struggled with this. Haman is struggling with this. Charles Spurgeon, one of the greatest preachers that we know in the United States would go through these seasons of low. He'd say, I'd be laid so low that it was everything I could do just to go on with my day. Whatever that is, notice what he says. I am set apart with the dead. You have put me in the lowest pit. All day long they surround me like a flood. They have completely engulfed me. And what I find so interesting here is that he is telling God exactly how he feels. Have you ever had the guts to do that? Tammy and I were recently with a, a friend had gone through some challenges over the last number of months and was just really sharing their journey and sharing the struggle and how hard it had been and then there was this moment when, when they looked at us and kind of gave a smile and said um, I've got to be honest with you I was, I was starting to get kind of angry with God and so I just told God you know what I know you're God I love you I trust you but I am not going to speak to you for a while And the way he said it was so funny. I'm not speaking to you right now. Whenever you, I'm just not gonna speak to you. And, the, and then they started talking about how they said, and so I started to do this and this and this, and all of a sudden I found myself talking to the Lord, and I go, wait a minute, what am I talking to you? I am not speaking to you right now. And they would do this little thing where they cross their, now I, I, I don't wanna make fun of that, but I, I find it so refreshing because you do know he already knows, Right? They say confession is good for the soul. Scripture talks about confession. And we always think it's this deep, dark sin in our life, but it's interesting how confession, even when he already knows what it does for our heart when we are just authentic, whether it be in worship and you watch the, what I love about Scripture, so many beautiful things, but have you ever noticed how real it is? How God doesn't, one of the reasons that I believe with all my heart, of course, there's a lot of reasons I believe the inspiration of Scripture, but one of the reasons I believe in the inerrancy of Scripture is that it does not hide the flaws of righteous people. I love that. Abraham had a character flaw. He lied to get out of trouble. Moses had a character flaw. David had at least one. <laughs> Solomon, holy cow. You see character flaws in some of the great saints of the New Testament. I love it because God is able to redeem the flaw. God is able to redeem. I love, I love the authenticity. It can be very discouraging. Number four, it can be spiritually very stifling. It doesn't have to be, but it can be. Notice how this turns. And you're saying, Pastor, this is now making me feel about as bad as I could possibly feel at a Christmas message. But I want to say that if you're in a dark place or a hard place or a suffering place or an authentic place or you've decided not to speak with the Lord for a while, let me take you to the answer. Isaiah 9. 
I know this is a, a great passage, but over the last seven, eight years, I think it has become my favorite Christmas passage. Because before I saw it as a quip, a small verse, now I understand the context. And you'll notice what it says in Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 8 could be the description of what Haman was feeling, and it could be the description of what our world looks like today. I don't know if you're like me or not. I have found myself watching a little less of the news and it's not because I don't care about the Gaza Strip and I don't care about Israel. I pray for them. I, it's not that I don't care about what's happening in Ukraine. It's not that I don't care what's happening. I'm caring less of what's happening in Congress, but I still care. And, and it's, it, it's not that I don't care but I've, I've had to kind of limit my consumption just a little bit in recent days. I want you to see verse 21, chapter 8. It says, Distressed and hungry, they will roam through the land. When they are famished, they will become en enraged and they will look upward and they will curse their king and their God. And then they will look toward the earth and they will see only distress, darkness, and fearful gloom. And there will be thrust into utter darkness. And I tell you what, short of Christ and the church in the world today, that's the world. Nevertheless, chapter 9. Don't ever stop. Don't ever stop in chapter 8. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. Hey, would you read that with me? Let's say it together. Ready? Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. Let's say it again. Ready? Let's just say no more gloom and let's really let it go. No more gloom. I love it. There will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee and the Gentiles. Look at verse 2. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of the shadow of death. A light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation. You've increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as men rejoice. When dividing the plunder, verse 4 as in the day of Midian's defeat. Now here's what's important. Midian's defeat, the people were oppressed, they were in bondage, and they were delivered by an unlikely hero, a man by the name of Gideon, whom God had chosen from a lowly family and from a lowly place. He is a foreshadowing, scholars have all agreed, of Christ in the most unlikely of family, in the most unlikely of places, in the most unlikely of influences able to break the bondage it says you have been shattered the yoke and the burdens that the bar was across their shoulder the rod of the oppressor it's all been shattered and overcome look what it says in verse 6 for unto us a child is born unto us a son is given and the government will be upon his shoulders and he will be called wonderful counselor mighty god everlasting father Prince of Peace. If you've ever gotten a spiritual verse uh, in a Christmas card, that was likely in it. And for the longest time, I would only look at that verse and it's beautiful in and of itself. But when you see the context of who Christ has broken into, 
a world, a people who were in distress, a people in hopelessness, a people in darkness, a world full of Hamans. The Christmas promises break in. And notice the four promises that jump out of here. This passage is worthy of a much closer look, but the overview is simply this. There is light now where there was only darkness. There was light where there was only darkness. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. And I love it because Jesus immediately when he refers to himself, looks back and he says, I am the light of the world. John says it this way. In fact, John focuses in on light a lot in his gospel and he introduces Christ in this way he says through him all things were made without him nothing was made that has been made in him was life and that life was the light of men and that light shines into the darkness but the darkness has not understood it and that word understood also means overtaken the darkness never overtakes the light God breaks into our world. And you may be brand new to faith. You may be here today just simply because you want to be somewhere that makes you feel good. Can I tell you, the reason that Christ overcomes darkness isn't because we come together and just sing nice songs, because Christians go through real life. People of faith go through dark times. But Christ shines life into that. The life of salvation, but the life of his presence, the life of his peace. Let's fill in the rest of these. Second promise, there is now joy and hope where there used to be only sorrow and hopelessness. Notice the verse, what he says in verse three. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people at the harvest where there was once only sorrow. Now bringing joy. That's why the angel said to them, Behold, I bring you good news or glad tidings of great joy that will be for all the nations. For unto us today a child is born in the city of David. The announcement that first Christmas from the angelic choir is where there's been darkness, now there can be joy. The third promise in this passage through Christ is there is now victory where there was only defeat. I want you to come back to that story of Gideon. I'd encourage you to maybe study the story. The people of Israel were under the oppression of a nation far more powerful. Every time there would be a glimmer of hope or light, the Midianites, and the thing is, they wouldn't just take, they would destroy. It wasn't enough to come in and take the crops. No, 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 they would come in and burn the crops. And God calls up Gideon and then to show that it's his power and not Gideon's power, chooses only just a few men to overtake an army far, far larger. And as the prophet Isaiah, through the inspiration of the Spirit of God, is looking forward to the coming Christ. He's not just talking about a government oppression. Whatever it is in your life that has taken over your life that keeps you in bondage, it oppresses you. He can bring victory. 
I have been so blessed this year at the multiple testimonies, just within our congregation, let alone our community, but the multiple testimonies of how God is bringing victory over addictions. Addictions of alcohol, addictions of drugs, or any other kind of a narcotic or influence, and how God is bringing victory into people's lives, and it is spreading into families. But let me tell you, not every addiction is a chemical one. Some of the greatest areas of bondage and addiction are in our mind, and so it can be, it can be pornography and lust. It can, be, it can be fear, anxiety, worry. I don't know if you noticed it or not. I don't think they say anything about it. I got in here a little bit late. But we have this, I love this group we're starting down at the counseling center. One of our counselors said, hey, would you mind if I started like a little workshop kind of a support thing for people dealing with anxiety and stress. It's going to start second week of January. Look in your bulletins. Man. We have noticed that rise in recent years. And it's just almost like it owns people. Jesus said what? My peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. And the kind of peace I bring isn't the kind of peace the world brings. Notice what it says in that passage. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, prince of peace, everlasting father. Then he says these words. Do not let your hearts be troubled. I can bring victory in areas of defeat. The last one he promises is just that. I bring my presence and peace where there was once only loneliness and turmoil. Can I ask you, where's your dark place? Where is that valley of the shadow? Very possibly. If you're in a good place, you're in a great place. But I would also say very possibly just because you smile doesn't mean there isn't a sense of loss or hardship or struggle. Psalm 119 said it this way, different psalm, different psalmist. I love what he says. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark for you. The night will shine like the day for darkness is as light to you. I spend a few minutes on Facebook each day. Five minutes real quick in the morning, five minutes at night. I have to, <laughs> I gotta tell you, it's been great in the stand. I watch those crazy reels. I'm scared off about five deer this year because I forgot to turn the sound down. But anyway, you know. Somebody on Facebook a few weeks ago in November, right around Thanksgiving, they wrote this. You may have seen it. The city of Barrow, Alaska, which, by the way, is the northernest most city 
in the United States. On November the 18th, saw the sun for the last time for 67 days. The sun will not, they won't even have the sunrise. It'll get a little on the horizon. There'll be a little bit of a, of a light, but that's it. They're so far north that for the next 67 days until January the 8th, I'm sorry, January the 23rd, they will not have a sunrise. It'll be dark. But when I saw that, I thought to myself, yeah, but the light is going to shine again. And if you happen to be in one of those places today, can I just encourage you? Light's going to shine again. In Christ, joy can come again. Peace can come again. Victory can come again. It's the promise. That's the promise of life that Christ brings to our world. Father, thank you for how real your word is. I am always amazed at how you are not embarrassed to show the flaws of your people. The weaknesses or the hard places or even the suffering, you're not embarrassed by them. We said it last week, you're not embarrassed by our distress. You engage us in our brokenness. So, Lord, this morning, for someone who's walking through a dark place, I pray you'd bring light, encouragement, and hope. For the one in a place of loss because of a relationship that has gone afoul or perhaps broken, I pray you'd bring healing and hope. Maybe for the one who's here today, walk through the doors because they're looking for some answers. That answer is in the person of Jesus Christ who came into this world. He didn't just come to live. He didn't just come as a baby. He's God in the flesh pursuing your soul. And it doesn't sound very happy to die on a cross for people's sins. And it was a terrible experience. But he did it to pay a payment for us so that we can have a right relationship with him. And he's inviting you to trust him as the light of your life today. The light of your world. So Lord, we reach out to you. And we ask that you would shine your light again. And then Lord, and us who are doing well, help us to shine into the world around us for your glory and your honor. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Would you stand with me? I want you to compliment the sweaters and stuff people are wearing. Do not call it ugly unless it's obvious. Don't do that. If you'd like to pray, we would love to pray with you. Prayer partners are here this morning.